I believe that we make a difference every day in individual lives. But the question, not only for us at SEI, but for us in Oregon and, and this nation, is how do we make the difference? From the studios of Kink Radio, it's the Portland 50, a podcast series about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The Portland 50 series is brought to you by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. I'm your host, Peggy LaPointe. Today, I talk with Tony Hobson Sr., founder of Self-Enhancement, Inc., the largest African-American nonprofit in the state of Oregon. SEI works to provide opportunities for underserved youth for personal and academic success. Well, I'm a frustrated athlete myself, having played a lot of basketball. You know, went to college on basketball scholarships, where was in the Portland Trail Blazers rookie camp in 77 after they won the championship. And, you know, through those experiences, I, you know, could acknowledge the fact that I had learned a lot of things through sports that helped me move from college into a career field. Uh, and I was involved in a lot of camps, you know, Maurice Lucas camps back in the day, a, a number of other camps, uh, Jack Ramsey, who was the coach of the winning championship team for Portland Trail Blazers camps. But most of these camps uh, centered on basketball and didn't, didn't spend enough time talking about how to transfer skills that you learn in sports back to the classroom. So when we started uh, the SEI camps, I came with that in mind. You know? So our camps weren't, played a lot of basketball, but there was a lot of classroom work, a lot of SAT classes, uh, and a lot of uh, conversations about life after sports. Uh, and we thought, I personally just thought that that, that is what was necessary to help young people who are playing basketball, not only look at basketball, uh, not as, a, as an end, but as a means to an end. If you could begin to understand what you learned there and be able to transfer some of those skills, uh, you could be a lot more successful. And you know, I always think about the fact that we had a lot of kids that you know, could envision themselves at the foul line, shooting that f- game-winning free throw in front of thousands of folks, but then walk into a math class, getting ready to take a math text and can't handle it, or an English test and can't handle it. When you used to always talk about, well, the fact that you've practiced over and over shooting that free throw and you've envisioned yourself hitting it, if you practiced over and over in math or English and, and envisioned yourself you know, getting a, a top score, you could be equally as successful there. So it was those kind of thoughts that kind of led us to initially kick off the, uh, the SEI self-enhancement camps. So it was really, you know, basketball was was part of the attraction, but it was really life skills um, that you were teaching them. And then how long between these camps uh, that you transitioned to more of a full-time program with these kids? You know, it it actually took about seven years of of camps. And, you know, it's it's sad that oftentimes the biggest things that we get a chance to to do happens, you know, out of negativity uh, or adversity. And in our camps, we had a lot of individuals that participated with us in our camps that um, were connected to gang activity. Mm-hmm. And I always forget the exact year, but you know, 86, 87, we started the camps in 81, but in 86 or 87, we had the first drive-by shooting. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the victim of that drive-by shooting and, and a couple of the uh, perpetrators 
had been in our camp. They had been a part of our camp. They were both uh, all involved in playing high school basketball. They were, you know, fairly good basketball players. The victim uh, played at Roosevelt High School, would have been probably not a D1 athlete, but would have gotten a scholarship. One of the perpetrators in the car that did the shooting and was just coming off the state basketball championship, uh, played with Terrell Brandon at, at, at Grant High School, was a definite D1 prospect, but one group was associated with uh, the Woodlawn Bloods. The other one was associated with the um, Columbia Villa Crips. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and feeling the need to, be, to belong just for protection and, and, and their own uh, safety. Uh, so one group gets in a car, drinking Old English 800, smoking weed, and decide that they want to go out to Columbia Villa and ride by the court and spray the court with automatic gunfire and uh, had the first drive-by shooting. Mm-hmm. So based on that kind of activity, then all of a sudden the city realized that we have a problem and we need to begin to do something about it. We had already been telling them that we had a problem, but you know, as usual, uh, they don't listen until we lose a life. So we got some resources at that point uh, to take what was then a summer camp program, and we had been doing a four-week program out at Columbia Villa that was more than basketball, and turn our program into a full year-round effort at that point, uh, providing services at Jefferson High School and, at the time, three middle schools, Tubman, Whitaker Middle School, and Ockley Green Middle School. And Jefferson was where you started, but then eventually you've been able to expand to uh, Grant and Benson as well. And has there been expansion in other middle schools too? Yeah. I mean, obviously to today when we look at the expansion of SEI, I mean, we, we cover quite a, quite a territory. Still the largest number of kids that we service are in Portland Public Schools. Um, mm-hmm. The main, the main, you know, let me just go back and say for a long time there weren't any middle schools in the Jefferson cluster. So Jefferson was used as the guinea pig uh, when the superintendent at the time decided that we want to go back to K-8. Well, we didn't go K-8 across Portland Public Schools. We went K-8 in the Jefferson Cluster. So all of the middle schools went away, and that's when we actually started our own charter school, middle school at, at, at SEI. Uh, so for a long time, there were no middle schools. They've gone back to the middle school effort now. You have Ockley Green. Tubman is supposed to come back online uh, next year. We would serve both of those schools. Uh, Then we did at the high school level expand to Grant. We're still in Grant. We were in Benson for a long time. We're no longer in Benson. And that just happened just based on the lack of resources when we had the downturn in 08. Uh, We probably, I can't remember the year, but we probably stopped servicing Benson way back in maybe 2010 or, or something. We'd love to to go back if the resources were there. Jefferson has always been our, our main high school. We've doubled down at Jefferson. We started uh, about five years ago what we call the whole school model. Normally when we're in a school, kids get identified to come into our program normally based on attendance, behavior, uh, issues or problems, sometimes dysfunctional home situations. And then we also have some leadership kids that come into the program uh, as well. But at, at, at Jefferson, we doubled down Uh, with the whole school model and said that any kid in the school that wants to access our program, we'd allow them to do that. Portland Public Schools came up with some significant resources for us to be able to do that. Five years ago when we started, Jefferson had a 54% graduation rate and over a five-year period of time we were able to take the whole entire school up to an 83% graduation rate and the students in the school that opted into the program uh, we're actually up to about a 91% graduation rate, which is, you know, I say that quickly and 
it kind of people hear it and say, oh, that great job. But no, it's an exceptional job. I mean, this doesn't happen in urban school settings anywhere in America. No. And when we talk about Portland or Oregon, Oregon just two years ago had the worst graduation rates in the entire nation. We're still fourth from the bottom. We're bad because in Oregon, we have yet to learn how to educate kids of color, poor children, and children with disabilities. Well, in our SEI world, we've been educating those three populations at a extraordinary clip for over two decades. Absolutely, because the Oregon rate is 74, 75%. Right. And as you pointed out, yours is, I read 93, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, which is absolutely fantastic. And, and, and going back a little bit, your program touches children from elementary into college because there's a lot of transitions that happen you know, emotional transitions, personal transitions, and educational transitions that happen yeah. uh, when you reach college. So uh-huh. you're guiding them through that as well. It's an, it's not just here and there. Your folks, I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm using, uh, my body language is, you know, wrapping around, but yeah. they really uh, become part of their family. Yeah, it is the wraparound services, and it is the, the holistic approach that, that starts early. Officially, these days, we actually start now at the middle school level mm-hmm. in the fifth grade. But because of the Sun School services, and we have like 16 different Sun Schools, we do actually start with those students at the elementary school level in our Sun program. Then they come into SCI in the middle school effort, and, and they do stay with us to college. And, and we think that that kind of longevity and consistency is what's necessary. I mean, most of the conversation in America and in Oregon when we talk about education is about how to improve teachers, how to improve administrators, how to improve curriculums. And all of that's fine, and we should be looking at that. But when I talk about education, I think that education starts at home, in a household. It includes a community, and it ends up at school. So when we look at this from a holistic approach, you have to impact all three of those categories. I guarantee you the fact that we can't educate kids of color and poor children has less to do with the teacher at the school and more to do with the issues that the kids showed up with that the teacher doesn't know how to deal with. I don't say that to let teachers off the hook because, yes, there are some improvements that we need at the school level. But if a kid shows up and they haven't eaten and they're going back home to a dysfunctional home every day, you know, no no father in the house. I mean, all of these issues that impact a child need to be dealt with in some way. And in our SEI world, we wrap ourselves around the entire family and we bridge the gap between home, community, and school. And we provide some supports that in many cases, uh, schools and teachers can't do, don't have time to do, don't have money to support, et cetera. When I think of how SEI becomes involved in these kids' families, and we talk about through college, well, that's really, you know, very much parents. You know, yeah. it's parenting. <laughs> you know, I, I have a, an 11 and 15-year-old, and they don't need, they, they don't stop needing parents in high school, and they right. don't stop needing parents, you know, as they're transitioning to college. Yeah. And so uh, SEI uh, counselors and, and everyone at SEI really um, becomes a big part of their family. And, and, and my understanding, one of my understandings is that kids can reach out to their counselors and the, and the folks that they work with at any time of the day. 24-7, to, 365 right. days a year. I mean, it, it's quite a, a, a strain. And, and you know, I, I'd have to say that 
one of our biggest challenges is the burnout and, mm-hmm. and trying to keep our folks fresh because one of the sayings in SCI is that you know we put our last name on every kid, which means that you as a coordinator that may have any way anywhere from 25 kids on your caseload to upwards of 40, you're trying to treat every one of your individual counselees as your own son or daughter. Everything that you would do for your own son or daughter to get them across the finish line, that's what you make sure happens for every kid. Now, it's easy to say that. It's quite different to actually live that and do that day in and day out. And yeah, we do get the calls. I mean, oftentimes our coordinators are the one that's that's getting the call before a parent uh, gets a call. Certainly we get the call before uh, folks at the school sites get calls when when some of our kids are struggling or have issues or have challenges oftentimes it is our coordinator that's getting that call it is our coordinator uh, that's uh, stepping into that gap it's our coordinator that's showing up at the recital at the basketball game you know any variety of things that would happen with kids and as you said this is about uh, in many ways becoming a family and parenting kids i mean and, and sometimes when people ask me you know, so what is SEI and, and what do we do? I, you know, the easiest way to describe it is that everything that good parents would do for their own kids is what SEI does. Yep. And then if they already have good parents, then we're trying to provide the resources and the options and opportunity for that kid to yet go further. I mean, a, a good instance of, of that is that we had a kid who has great parents, a kid that came out of Jefferson a couple years ago, uh, but did not have a pathway to Juilliard, but had applied for Juilliard. But based on our support of her and being able to provide her with some resources to go back and go through all of the different steps that it takes to get in a place like Juilliard, she was able to do that. I mean, it's the first SEI kid ever to, to attend Juilliard. Uh, but we're very, very proud of the fact that we were able to fill a few gaps for her, not the same gaps that we would fill for some other kids in need because she didn't have some of the social service types of needs, but she had some financial needs and uh, some emotional support needs that we were able to provide uh, to get her there. So that that's one example of the op- uh, other end. And one other example I would give is uh, we had our first student graduate from Harvard School of Law. Uh, just this last year. Uh, And this was another student who had two great parents, but we started providing additional options and opportunities for that student when she was in elementary school. And she had the chance to participate and be involved in some things that we believe helped shape and mold her in a way that she could compete at at such a high level. And, you know, hopefully long-term, some of these individuals will make a lot of money and be able to come back and support our program. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I was wondering, do you have folks who have come out of your program, uh, young adults who come back and work for or mentor or help guide some of the students that are in the program? Yeah, absolutely. All of the above. I mean, probably right now in terms of our what we again call coordinators who are similar to mentors by other people's definition, probably... You know, I haven't looked lately, but I would say at, at easily 40% of our coordinators are past SEI students mm-hmm. who went away to college, got their degrees, and come back and chose this as what they wanted to do. So there is a large number of past SEI students that now function 
uh, in real jobs in our SEI world in a, in a variety of uh, categories, not only on the front lines as mentors, but as I think about some of our directors, there's like three of our directors that are past SEI students and several of our managers and supervisors are past SEI students. So, I mean, we feel good about that. It's, it's, you, know, you don't have to teach them. You don't have to create the culture for them. They know the culture. And many of them are what we call culture carriers. And obviously, that at the end of the day, you have to maintain a certain kind of culture that's different. Uh, if you're winning, you want a winning culture. For instance, you know, you see a lot of kids sagging their pants halfway down their butt. Well, and, and wearing hats. When, when you walk into SEI, I mean, we expect you to pull up your pants and take your hat off. I mean, you may not have to do that in other places, but that's the respect of who we are and what we do and trying to hold kids to a higher standard uh, so that they could be successful not only in our world, but in the broader world uh, out there as they will be confronted with. And I have to imagine the kids that are going through the program and they see uh, the mentors or the coordinators and, and, and folks throughout SEI that has to give them such a level of confidence, such a level of they've been through it, I can do it, and a level of trust as well in uh, the folks within your organization. Well, yeah, the, I think the trust is, is a big piece of it. And, and obviously seeing something or someone that looks like you is helpful. I mean, we have non-African-Americans working in SEI that make just as big a difference mm -hmm. because it's really about how you bring it and who you are uh, and whether or not you really love what you do and can convince the students that you're working with that you are truly there in behalf of them. And kids you know, can sense that. They can absolutely yep. sense that. And, and that ha that part has no color. Mm -hmm. But the fact that we're our, the majority of who we service are African-American students. The fact that they can see other African-Americans that are successful in a variety of different ways uh, does go a long way uh, in, in terms of uh, encouraging and motivating and inspiring our kids to believe that they, too, uh, can, can be successful. No question. And you also mentioned briefly about the support that you give the families. You know, there are many um, kids who are going to school who don't have, you know, that breakfast to fill their belly so that they can concentrate and learn. And that's one of the things that SEI helps these families with is making sure that there's food on the table, that the kids aren't worried in the winter that they don't have heat yeah. uh, because that impacts every aspect of that child's life. Yeah. yeah, again, it's just a part of the wraparound services that a lot of people just don't talk about. Mm -hmm. But, yes, for us, um, you, we're going to always – follow that kid home to see what the circumstance is at home. You know, I, another thing that I've said for many, many years, if you show me an at-risk kid, I would ask you to follow that kid home, and I will show you some at-risk adults, that we don't have a youth problem in America. We have an adult problem in America. And if the adults could get it right, the kids would follow. So if, in fact, you're servicing kids and not going home to service the adults, you're, you're you know, not going to suggest that you won't be successful, but it will be a lot more difficult. Uh, and, and, and it will become much, much easier if you can do wraparound services, both for kids and the home situation. We find that, you know, a lot of uh, parents have never truly learned how to really uh, parent their kids. 
a lot of parents did not have a good experience in school, so they don't want to show up at school. So they send their kids off and just hope that they great, get great teachers and that it all goes well, and they don't want to have anything to do with it because they're embarrassed by themselves and their inability to ask the right questions, et cetera, et cetera. So in our SEI world, we will take those parents by the hand and, and be that bridge back to the schools. And if, in fact, as you said, they don't have food on the table or can't pay uh, their rent in some cases or heat bills, we will try to cover that. But part of that is trying to then train them how to step out of that. I mean, because you don't want to have folks that see this as an easy way to get over uh, we want to make sure that we're training them on how to take a step out of that to be able to, because we're also trying to help them get jobs or learn skills uh, where they can be more self-sufficient and become stronger parents to their own children. I mean, and that would be the ultimate goal is that they wouldn't need us anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and as you're, as you're helping these children, in many ways, they're then breaking the cycle by graduating from high school by going on to either college or trades or family living wages. I think I saw that mm-hmm. of those 93%, 80-some percent do go on to, to those yes. living situations. Yes. So you're helping them on that next level, but also to learn how to be an adult and how to be a parent because yeah. many of us have parents who just weren't given those skills, yeah. um, and it's hard to learn those skills if, yeah. if you don't get it from yeah. your parents. Yeah, we hope that we break the cycle you know, by... Uh, providing the support services for our young people so that, as you say, yes, they can go on to college or family wage job, vocational training. Uh, you know, the hope is that they come what we call positive contributing citizens. Uh, and, and for us, that means that they will be able to get a job uh, and make enough money that they can take care of themselves and, and their own family. And if they can do that, then hopefully they would then be good role models for their own kids. So, you know, I, I think we've touched, you know, thousands of kids over the year. We've seen thousands of kids come back. I mean, we have kids all over America uh, doing great work. We have kids that have started similar types of programs in, in other cities. So we really feel good about what we've been able to achieve. But, you know, I tell folks that um, for me, uh, I, I believe that we make a difference every day in individual lives. But the question, not only for us at SEI, but for us, in Oregon and, and this nation, is how do we make the difference? I mean, because as good as we are, I mean, the graduation rates for kids of color hasn't changed that much. You know, the employment rate for folks of color hasn't changed that much. You know, the health care issues, I mean, all these issues that we still see, we haven't put a big enough dent in that, even though there's a lot of us doing great work every day. And I continue to think that the challenge going forward is how to collectively do the work. Mm-hmm. How, how do we get enough of us that can work together where we can drill down deeper and provide a, a, a deeper and broader safety net for more kids? Uh, and we've not figured out how to do that. It's kind of interesting when you look at the gentrification that's happening in um, North Northeast and all the push out to the East. So that now we're servicing you know, the Rental School District, David Douglas School District, the Park Road School District. It was interesting to see how many of the agencies that were in Northeast quickly go and set up shop in outer Northeast, and maybe rightfully so. But when I looked at that, I felt like we missed an opportunity because 
all of the success that we had in North Northeast that made a difference but didn't make the difference, we're now going to go to Outer East and do the same thing. And we'll make a difference if kids have the opportunity to get in your program, but if they don't, they'll fall through the cracks. I feel like it's an opportunity for folks to collectively do some work in that new area out there in a way that's, as I said, deeper and broader uh, so that we can get to a point of kind of changing the trajectory that, the, the, uh, of what happens for poor children and children of color. I think that only happens in a collective effort. None of us are big enough, strong enough, get enough money to make these problems go away as an individual agency. So the, the collective impact thought, I believe, is what we should be uh, looking towards uh, in the future. You're listening to King's Portland 50 series. I'll continue my conversation with Tony Hobson in a moment, but I wanted to thank our sponsor. The Portland 50 series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. Now back to my conversation with Tony Hobson, founder of Self Enhancement Inc., the largest African-American nonprofit in the state of Oregon. SEI works to provide opportunities for underserved youth for personal and academic success. Have you had, you've talked about um, some uh, now young adults who have gone through the program who are setting up similar shops around the country. Have you had uh, people from around the country approach you, see your model and ask you, you know, how do I start this in my city? We, we, we have. We've had a lot of people come and have that conversation with us. I mean, the only true replication to date is in Miami, Florida. Uh, Alonzo Mourning, who's a past NBA uh, athlete, uh, I mean, they've been doing SEI there for uh, probably close to 15 years now. It's called the Overtown Youth Center. So. Mm-hmm we don't get as much credit as we probably should for that effort, but we've trained them and their model that they're doing is the, uh, the SEI model. We've had a lot of other people come and look at our model. I think that quite frankly, our model uh, is hard to replicate. I mean, when you think about our model, I would say think about the Harlem's Children's Zone and Jeffrey Canada. You know, no one can replicate what Jeffrey did there. Mm-hmm. They, they talk about um, promised neighborhood. You know, so there's dollars out there to do a promised neighborhood. That was kind of the takeoff on potentially uh, the Harlem's Children's Zone model. But Jeffrey was smart enough to know with all of the things that they do, very difficult to replicate that. And we have found the same thing in SCI. When people come, they love what we do. They walk away very, very impressed, but they also walk away overwhelmed. It's like, how could I possibly put together what you've put together in my place? And they could only if they had a collection of folks coming together. And, and some people, I, I think we're kind of at the low end because uh, there are some programs in our town that cost a lot more than ours does. But we spend about $3,500 per kid to get the outcome that we get. Um, there's a few programs that are lower and several programs that are much, much higher. So when you're trying to replicate a variety of things, it becomes a lot more difficult. When you're talking about not only dealing with the children, but dealing with the entire family, a lot of people run from that. Some of the best programs out there, they do one piece of what we do. They mentor a kid. Well, that's great, but 
I question how much success you can have with just dealing with the kid and not dealing with the family. Many of them only deal with middle school kids or only deal with high school kids. But as you pointed out earlier, we're starting with elementary school kids. We're staying with them all the way to college and we're dealing with their parents. Well, most folks don't want to do that much. They don't want to work that hard and they don't want to be responsible for that whole variety of, of people that you would have to touch to get an outcome. So uh, in many ways, I, I think maybe we were a little crazy to, 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 you know, to bite off as much as we did. But having been a teacher in Portland Public Schools, having watched what was going on for years, and I worked for Portland Public Schools for 10 years, it was easy for me to see where the gaps were. And when we created SEI, the year-round program, we decided to fill the gaps that the, that the schools could not fill and in doing so feel like we would then have a holistic approach collectively partnering with the district to provide the support system necessary for all kids to be successful. I have to imagine that, that your time in Portland Public Schools uh, played a big part in your success getting into the public schools because they knew you, they trusted you, they saw what you had done, and you already had that relationship there. Absolutely. Uh, As I said, I was in Portland Public Schools for 10 years. In the last three or four, I was running a program called the Achievement Athletic Motivation Program, which was basically SEI uh, and working with athletes that took me. uh, I had Jefferson, Roosevelt, Benson, and Grant as my four schools that I rotated through uh, doing Uh, support services for student athletes. So yeah, uh, having had the opportunity to do that, having come from Portland Public Schools and having some level of success athletically, uh, I think all of those things played uh, in a positive way for when we were ready to come into Portland Public Schools with a real program for them to say yes. And the then uh, superintendent, Matt Matt Profit, actually the salary that I had in Portland Public Schools, he was willing to continue to support that when we first started the year-round effort uh, for Self Enhancement Inc. So the district has has been was was very supportive in helping us get off the ground. Then that support waned and went away for a very very long time, and not until we went into the whole school model at Jefferson did real resources come back our direction. Now I've you know have had conversations with many a superintendent. I've had conversations down at ODE. I've had conversations with our governor. And I I think the biggest frustration and challenge is when you talk to people and they talk about wanting to graduate children of color and poor children and children with disabilities, and our ODE stats are laid out there, their stats, and then they don't want to support us replicating and growing our effort, it leaves you just kind of wondering, are they really serious about educating all kids? Because you say you want to do this, and you've always said to us, prove it. So your data is the proof that we're talking about, but yet we don't get additional resources to spread this kind of love across this state. To me, it's almost criminal. I mean, it's almost like here's a person over here with cancer and you have the cure, but you're deciding not to give it to them because people won't pay for the vaccine. I mean, it's kind of like we sit here with your data that shows that we know how to do this and there's kids that are falling through the cracks all across this state at alarming rates 
and we're telling you we know how to do this, and we do believe that our model transfers uh, or, or uh, goes across race because mm -hmm. the white students that have participated in SEI, the Latino students that have participated in SEI, the Native American students that have participated in SEI, we get the same kind of outcomes across race. So this is something that could be benefited or beneficial across this state if we chose to spend the resources. Are you, would you be ready to hit the ground running? Should they say, yes, let's go ahead and do this statewide? We want you to duplicate this? Yes. I mean, we, we have training models that we prepared years ago because at one point we were looking at like doing similar to say what Friends of the Children mm -hmm. was another local program has done and replicate all across. So we did all of the training stuff and put everything in place. I mean, we couldn't just do it tomorrow because we'd have to identify the trainers. But if we had enough resources, yeah, we could hit the ground running uh, pretty quickly to get this done. SEI has in place uh, students uh, putting together an individual success plan. Mm -hmm. This is a set of goals that a student puts together. Nobody else decides this. They, put, they decide what their personal and academic and social goals are, and they meet with their coordinator on a regular basis throughout the year to sort of see where are they. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, we call it an ISP. Um, you know, in, in the education world, there's these things called an IEP, you know, for special ed students. Um, so we, we took the concept from that. You know, you want to have a plan and you want to be able to sit down and, and develop some goals that a young person could actually work on. So our ISP is done at the beginning of the year. It changes quarterly depending on what happens with a, with a student. And ideally, a coordinator would meet with a student at least once a month in some form. It's not always a formal sit down in the office. Sometimes it's in the lunchroom. Sometimes it's in the hallway in passing. And you see that kid and you remember what they're working on. You will ask them questions about where you at on that. You know, how can I help? That kind of thing. But uh, certainly quarterly, at least, there's a full sit-down meeting where you're going through that and you're looking at the grades and you're looking at the things that they said that they wanted to do uh, to, provide, to try to provide support for them. I mean, the key here is um, just being in a support role and providing options and opportunities for young people uh, to find their gift. So we believe, I believe, <laughs> that every kid on the planet has a gift. In fact, every human being on the planet has a gift. The question is, can you expose kids to enough things to help them find their gift? You always tell folks, on a clear day from SEI's offices, you can actually see Mount Hood. But most black students will never be on Mount Hood because that's what black kids don't ski. We don't want the cold. Well. If, in fact, you take them up there, as we've done in, in some past years, you don't know, but you may have the next extreme skier in our midst, but they just never was exposed to skiing. So our goal is to expose kids to as many things as possible in hopes that whatever their gift is, we can expose them to something that clicks, where the light comes on, and then they're basically off and running. But I believe that what we see in poor communities is a lack of options and a lack of opportunity. I mean, I laugh sometimes when people talk about reading. Well, why would you expect a kid to be a reader if they're in a household where there's not a book and they don't see anybody, any adults ever reading? Why would I think that reading is important? So sometimes it's just about opportunity and exposure for, for young people. And at SEI, 
we do that quite well. We expose our kids to a variety of things that otherwise uh, would not happen for them. Are you taking them on field trips? Are you kind of, yeah. you know, through conversations, discovering what they like to do and taking advantage of, you know, what you're hearing from them or mixture yeah. of everything? I, ideally, and I just say this I, ideally because I don't want to give anybody the impression that we're so excellent out there that we don't miss the mark. But ideally, that ISP, there's things in there that we could look at in our after-school programming. We're asking kids questions about what they like, what they want. So on an individual basis through your ISP, you should get some options and, and opportunities. Through our after-school programs, you should yet get some additional options and opportunities that we expose you to. In our summer program, there's a, yet more options and opportunities uh, that, that you get there, too. So there's a variety of ways in which the door should be open and we should have enough information to provide new things and new opportunities for kids to get exposed and participate in things that could potentially uh, help them find their gift. Also, what I, I love is that there is, what's the word? I'm, it's not, it is a code of ethics, but... I'm trying to remember the name for it. You have a SEI standards. Thank you. The standards, and then the, I was going to say, and then each of the seven standards that is part of your program. You know, I think everybody believes that there ought to be some rules, and for for us, the the rules, the the additional rules are the the SEI standards. And I mean, we these standards were created a very long time ago uh, by Joy uh, DeGruy, who was on our staff at the time. Uh, so we asked all of our staff and all of our kids to to learn the standards and to try to live by the standards. And basically, it gives you a way to hold each other accountable, you know, and it gives you a way to help build relationships. Like, you know, standard number one is we greet each other every day with a smile and a handshake to strengthen the relationship between us. So that's an expectation that when you see each other, you greet each other as an adult in a classroom. I mean, you'd be surprised if you walked into a school and see how often that doesn't happen. But any good teacher would be at the front door when the kids are walking through and they're greeting each kid. Because guess what? You can, you will know based on greeting that kid when they come through the front door who's having a good day, who's having a bad day, you know, who you need to be paying attention to, et cetera. So the, the six standards are uh, ways in which we use to support kids, to hold kids accountable and, and keep them on the right track. And it's it served us well over the years. I also want to talk about, you know, you touched on them as well, the, the youth programs. You've got the in-school programs where you're helping them there, the after-school programs and enrichment, mm -hmm. the summer programs, post-high school support, and parent involvement. Mm -hmm. The, the after-school, you've got, I know you've got a uh, computer lab, a science lab, a library, the gym, to sort of engage all of these kids so that they're not just maybe on an electronic device or or sitting off by themselves. Yeah. They come to your facility yeah. and they're engaged in, in their interest. Hopefully. You know, again, I, I think ideally that's what all of that is there for and a kid has let us know where their interests lie and then when they get to our after-school program, We've designed it in such a way that that kid could come. One, first and foremost, two things in our after-school program uh, that, that's done first. Well, first is that we feed them because a lot of our kids, uh, unfortunately, the meal that they get with us after school is going to be the last meal they have that, that night. So we actually do 
a real meal. It's not snacks. It's, it's a real dinner. And then homework. We want to make sure that what, whatever is required of them uh, for their school, that we give them an opportunity to do that. And then after that, then there's some options. And then based on their ISP and what they want to get into, then all those things you name would, would be a variety of options that they could then move to. You know, I, I, you know, I'm always probably more honest than I need to be. What we find sometimes with some of our high school kids, sometimes they do just want to sit. They just want to sit in a group and, and connect with each other. So we probably allow that from time to time. But the goal is to, again, provide an options and opportunities to give them yet another chance to hone their skills and to, and to find their gift. And the after-school program, you know, we get a large number of our kids who actually come. I mean, and the other thing about SEI, one is free. And it's not mandatory. So kids have opted into the program. I mean, they, they, no one is making students come to, to SEI. This is not a mandatory program. It is optional for all kids. So to get as many kids as we get to actually go to school all day, and for our high school kids two days a week or middle school kids two days a week, to come to SEI for additional homework time and uh, other classroom type of work uh, is, is, is pretty phenomenal. Being a parent, as much as I n see my 15-year-old not wanting a parental involvement, mm -hmm. uh, I know that at the end of the day, he needs that parental involvement and likes it. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine um, that the middle schoolers and high schoolers are the same way. As, as much as they're trying to hold off yeah. those adults, they also want to be within their embrace. E every kid, I believe, wants to be validated. Yeah. Every kid wants to be loved. I mean, every kid, whether they admit it or not, wants some attention. So, yes, most of them try to push back like they don't want that. But, you know, they do. They do. And so the question is, how do you do that in a way that they can accept it? And, you know, part of our uh, relationship model that we train all of our people on, uh, you know, how to be a parent, you know, how to be a teacher, how to be a mentor. And you got to work through all of those roles. And, you know, it, it's quite challenging to to learn how to build the kind of trust necessary where you could put your parental hat on and you can not only love a kid, but you can um, chastise a kid or hold a kid accountable and, it, and they be all right with it. Right. I mean, the mistake that happens in public education so often is that you have people that have no relationship with kids trying to punish them or chastise them or you know, hold them accountable. And it's, you know, unfortunately, back in my day, you know, you just respect an adult because they were an adult. That's not the case these days. I mean, kids don't respect adults because they're adults. I respect you because you respect me. Right. So even though I've done something wrong, there's a way for you to hold me accountable. And if you don't do it right, it's about to be a problem. Right. And a lot of our kids end up getting in deep trouble because of the way in which they handle that and the way in which the adult handle that. So we try to train our people on how to handle those scenarios. And you don't start dealing with a kid with a parental hat on. I mean, you start with that teacher role and then you move to the mentor role and then eventually you graduate into a parental role where you can now actually hold that kid accountable in a way that it's respectful both directions. Because yeah. that child trusts that you have their best interest in mind. Absolutely. And, and yeah. that's where that respect comes from. They know they've done something wrong. Right or stepped out of bounds, right. uh, and they are m uh, much more likely to heed that discipline, if you will, that's not quite the right word, but scolding, 
chastising if they know that at the end of the day you have their best interest in mind. If you're doing it with through love and yep. with love. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's laughable sometimes when you think about what happens in public education sometimes and how, how kids are dealt with. And there's no love involved oftentimes. I mean, it's straight punishment. You know, I need to get you out of here. I mean, and they make kids feel horrible. And that's just not how a parent would chastise their kid. You did wrong. I need to hold you accountable. But I, I still need you to know I love you. And tomorrow's going to be a new day. And we're going to be okay. But you did wrong right now. And there's repercussions for that. But you got to do it out of love. And I think it's one of the reasons why we've been as successful as we've been with kids is because everything in SCI is done out of love. I mean, I'm sure you'll find people that will disagree because it didn't go their way or what have you. But from from how we've designed our effort, how we've designed our model, uh, it's, it's the relationship model. And the relationship model, model, first and foremost, is about loving each other and loving every kid and every family that we have to deal with and meeting them where they are and moving from that point forward. When you started this program, let you know, go back to the, the summer camps. Mm -hmm. In your wildest dreams, could you have imagined that you'd be here with such a broad-based successful program? Was it a pipe dream? Was this your goal in mind? or? You know, I, I, we did a, um, a session just yesterday with part of our staff and where I did the kind of a history a historic uh, perspective on SEI, and that same question was asked. And to be honest with you, I, I, I honestly say no. I don't know that I saw all that has occurred in our SEI world. I certainly saw that I would be involved in doing a programmatic effort for my community, the community that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. that, that I've known since middle school. And, you know, I feel quite blessed that for me, spiritually, I've always known what path I was going to take. Now, the shape of that, wasn't sure about that. Uh, so there's been a, a lot of wonderful things that has happened, that have happened through our SEI efforts that, you know, they amaze me <laughs> that, that these things are happening and some of the people that have gotten involved, some of the resources that we've raised, some of the successes that, that we've had. Uh, amazed me. So no, I, I did not see the form, did not know that we were going to end up with a, a facility, did not know that we were going to end up servicing as many kids uh, as we've been able to service. No, did, could not have had uh, envisioned that initially. As we got into it, I mean, it became clearer to me the possibilities of some of the things that have now occurred. Mm -hmm. So at some point in time, even before they happened, I could see it. But when we first started SEI way back in the day with camps, I'd be lying if I said back then I saw a facility and, um, you know, serve, uh, the opportunity to serve 14,000 children and families annually and being able to, you know, save Jefferson two or three times and then get it turned around academically and, you know, have kids end up at Juilliard and, Harvard School of Law, no. I, I didn't see that in the beginning at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, sitting where you are now, uh, five, ten years down the line, what are your hopes and dreams for SEI? Well, I think we're at an interesting uh, point uh, in, in society and our nation. You know, as I look at uh, Black Panther, the, the movie that just came out, I mean, many of us got excited about what we saw there uh, because it was just such a breath of fresh air uh, to see black people in the roles that they depicted and uh, with the knowledge that they depicted. 
So for a long time, I've been having a conversation about the next evolution of SEI and all the things that we now do, we will continue to do and hopefully continue to grow them. But there's a piece that we've been missing for some time. And the, the best way for me to describe this uh, for people is to think about what a Jewish community center represents to Jewish people and what it has always represented to Jewish people. And the fact that you can go to any major city in this country and you're going to find a Jewish community center. Now, that Jewish community center, make no mistake about it, it is about Jewish people and mm -hmm. it's about their culture and religion. But they welcome everybody. Mm -hmm. Everybody is welcome and you can come in and partake and they'll, they'll love you up. There's nothing like that in the black community. The next evolution of SEI is turning our center into an African-American cultural center and be able to provide the same kind of culture for black people that the Jewish Community Center provides for Jewish people, but yet be open for anybody that wants to come in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've often said I'm almost embarrassed that we don't have black history classes and a black library in the Center for Self-Enhancement. That's where it ought to be. I mean, we're the largest African-American nonprofit in the state of Oregon. I mean, we ought to be housing that and we ought to be providing that for black folks. And for anybody else that want to learn about us or want to connect with us, ought to have the opportunity to come through our doors and be a part of that. So as I said, we'll continue to do all the wonderful things that we're doing and continue to try to grow them. But this uh, African-American Cultural Center We've just, we're going through a strategic planning process now, and that's the biggest piece that's coming out of that is to how to flip the script a little bit and provide that kind of service. Because right now, in the, the Center for Self-Enhancement, in our services, you're either a student in our program or a client in our program. So if you're just average whomever from the outside that would want to access us, there's not an avenue for you to do that. So in this new uh, evolution of SEI, anybody could come in and even additional kids could come in and take classes and be a part of our after school program alongside of the students that are uh, students in our program. Do you have a timeline for that? Uh, loosely. <laughs> We've kind of started some of it. Part of it is we've been re refurbishing and redoing some things within the center itself. Uh, so we're probably about... Uh, we're probably about a year out from from fully launching that that effort. So we're putting things into place right now. Uh, so I, I think we're not more than a year out of being able to to go live with that and, and having a a vehicle and method for folks from the outside to, to come in and oh, be a part wonderful. of it. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that and taking yeah. my kids and my family there. Yeah. yeah. Tony, thank you so much for yeah. joining us for the, the, this recording of the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you well, I appreciate in. being here. It's been a great uh, opportunity for us to, to share, share who we are. I mean, sometimes I think that we're one of the best kept secrets uh, in our state, given our outcomes and how long we've been around and how successful we've been. So this is a great opportunity to share. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for my conversation with Tony Hobson. If you've missed any of the previous podcasts, you can find them at our website at kink.fm. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Portland 50 podcast wherever you're listening. The Portland 50 is a podcast series celebrating kink's 50th anniversary, and it's about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950.